Welcome to Season 2 of Healthcare Reimagined, the Society for Healthcare Innovation's podcast series. Our goal is to showcase innovation in the private sector, as well as within provider organizations and government entities. On Healthcare Reimagined, we share strategies from clinicians, entrepreneurs, health system executives, and business and political leaders who have shifted their models to meet the new reality brought on by COVID-19. Welcome to episode eight of season two of the Healthcare Reimagined podcast. Today, I spoke with Dr. Sanjay Subramanian, the founder and CEO of Omnicure, a platform that uses technology to increase access to critical care doctors at the point of care. Dr. Subramanian has over 20 years of experience as a critical care doctor and saw firsthand the problems caused by a lack of access to critical care doctors. Dr. Subramanian previously served as chairman of the SCCM Committee on Telemedicine before creating Omnicure to improve and innovate the delivery of telecritical care. Sanjay, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So as a starting point, perhaps you could tell us what Omnicure MD does. So Omnicure is actually the company's name. We are a uh, tele-ICU software company. We are essentially a technology company, and what we have developed is a mobile-first tele-ICU platform that allows remote specialists, intensivists to connect with bedside providers anywhere without excessive infrastructure costs and a lot of upfront capital investment. It's a nimble, agile system that facilitates telecritical care from any location. Which is amazing in light of what's been happening in the world over the past year or so, but we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. I first would love to know what inspired you to start Omnicure. So I have been an intensivist for over 25 years and actually have been working with tele-ICU systems, the legacy systems, for almost a decade. And what I saw over the years was that there were a lot of inefficiencies in the system, and I felt that the true power of telecritical care was not being realized because of the somewhat inflexible nature of the legacy systems, the huge costs, the upfront capex involved in implementing telecritical care systems really limited the reach of these systems. And I felt that there was a clear opportunity to sort of innovate in that space so that we can really enable access to critical care specialists without a huge upfront investment and make it simple and easy for hospitals to connect with remote specialists. As we all know, there's a huge shortage of critical care doctors. And really, the whole point of telecritical care is to make access to specialists easy, not difficult, inexpensive, and not costly. And in this day of value-based care, I think we both recognize that streamlined and cost-effective systems are really the way to go. So I saw a definite opportunity to innovate in in that space as I worked with legacy systems. And I also saw a huge market demand for a much more simpler, agile system for telecritical care. So that's really what inspired me to start Omnicure. I felt I had the domain expertise, you know, being an intensivist and having worked with telecritical care systems. So I felt, you know, sufficiently confident that I knew what the pain points were and that we could address them effectively. And so in effect, the specialist is zooming into this patient interaction? Correct. That's exactly right. So we allow the, we facilitate, I should say, the 
remote specialists or the intensivists to be able to connect with the bedside provider, be it a nurse, a physician assistant, a nurse practitioner, or another physician who needs input into the care of a critically ill patient without expensive hardware installations. Yeah, and it's so interesting. You know, Chris, who's the president of uh, SHCI and our mutual contact, was telling me that when he had a COVID interaction and had to quarantine, he was basically zooming into patient interactions with his residents. And he said, you know, attending without my skill set could perhaps do 80% of what I can do. And it's really that 20% that they need me for. And so I was actually able to zoom into far more patient encounters than I could have handled on my own as a result of them just calling me for that bit where they needed me. And to me, it seems like you've kind of done that at scale. That's exactly right. You know, with modern technology being, you know, so much more flexible and pliable and with everything being cloud-based these days, I think there's there was definitely an opportunity to sort of innovate in this space and make this whole concept much more streamlined and feasible and cost-effective. And I think it's only going to get better. I don't. I would certainly not say Omnicure is a last word in telecritical care, but I think we're definitely have uh, started to really push the boundaries of what telecritical care could look like in the in the years to come. Are there regulatory barriers when it comes to doctors zooming in from other places? Are, are, the, are doctors from Wyoming zooming into New York, or does that create regulatory issues? Yeah, if anything, I think that's probably the biggest hurdle we have faced, you know, over the years. And besides the technology limitations and the cost issues that prevent efficient scaling of telecritical care services, I think that one of the biggest and uh, almost painful barriers has been the huge amount of bureaucracy and hurdles we face with cross-state licensure. Every state has its own unique licensing requirements, which really makes critical care physicians not as easily accessible as they ought to be. With COVID, obviously, a lot of states deregulated a lot of the licensure requirements and made it easy for doctors to have cross-state licensures, but that was in the setting of of a national emergency. In fact, when we uh, used our platform under the context of the National Emergency Telecritical Care Network, there were doctors in Massachusetts providing care to patients in South Dakota and Minnesota without any major barriers because the states had eased the cross-licensure requirements and it was it was fairly easy. But now that we're sort of post-pandemic, I think we'll sort of get back to square one where it will again become difficult for physicians to practice across state lines. And I think that's something that a more permanent solution has to be developed because I think what everyone has to realize is that critical care physician shortage is is never, ever going to go away. The numbers just don't ever add up. I mean, we predicted this crisis way back in 1999, actually, that by this time, we would have a huge shortage of critical care physicians. And the only way to address that shortage is to efficiently leverage their presence and telecritical care is clearly the answer to that. However, if you put in all these barriers with cross-state, with licensing and credentialing with hospitals, it is just not going to be effective. And really, at the end of the day, I, I really feel strongly that the ones who are hurt the most are the patients. I think we get so caught up in our in our bureaucracy and our regulatory issues that we don't realize that at the end of the day, it's the patients who suffer, and they're the ones who bear the brunt of our system inefficiencies.
it's ridiculous to an extent, right? That I can, my, my New York driver's license allows me to drive into New Jersey, but if I'm a doctor, I can't practice, you know, telehealth uh, in a, in a non-emergency scenario. And so I totally hear you and mirror your frustration on those regulatory hurdles. You referenced COVID. Can you tell me a little bit about how COVID impacted your growth as a company? I guess it encompasses the easing of, of regulation. I think COVID, you know, was sort of a, in quotes, a boon for our company because it helped everybody suddenly see that telecritical care was an absolutely viable option across the board. I think when we first started Omnicure, we were a little ahead of the curve in terms of how we envisioned telecritical care. And how we thought the system as function, I think we were ahead of the curve. And that's why initially, uh, when we were talking to hospitals, we didn't get the sort of interest that we have now. Because I think everybody was somewhat set in their ways and uh, quite happy with the legacy solutions, even if they were inefficient. And they didn't, they didn't quite see that there's a need to innovate and there's a need to be flexible and agile. But with COVID, I think... Everybody very quickly realized that you have to have systems in place that are nimble, efficient, scalable, and agile, and cost-effective. And I think that is true, you know, across the board, not just for critical care, even for other systems. There are shortages of other specialties as well. So I think with COVID, it really accelerated the adoption of telehealth in, in general, and especially for telecritical care. So we had a lot more interest from organizations, from hospitals, physician groups uh, in, in our system. And I think one of the biggest things that really happened was with COVID, the agency of the federal government called CATRIC, which is a telemedicine technology research center, launched a uh, fairly large effort called the NETC, NETCC, and excuse me, the National Emergency Telecritical Care Network, which aims to quickly stand up a national system for providing emergent telecritical care using specialists from any location, providing care to patients at any location. So when they launched that initiative, we were one of the few companies that was that was selected from over 80 companies to actually help them develop that system and that product. So we're in the second phase of that whole program right now. And I think at the end of that, what we what the government hopes to achieve is that they will have a sort of a quote-unquote permanent solution to a future pandemic or disaster response that has telecritical care at, at, at its very core. And so as these hospitals have expressed their interest and have begun to work with them, are you seeing that you're successfully able to, to lower costs for them? And what about hospitals that don't have critical care staff that they need now? Is, is the benefit for them just clinical in nature and that they can now uh, more appropriately treat patients who are struggling with situations that would require a subspecialty of a critical care doc? Or are you able to actually prove ROI in both cases where they have those folks on staff and where they don't? Yeah, I think we can definitely demonstrate ROI in both cases. In the second case, it's obviously very clear that if they don't have access to critical care specialists, at all. Now, with just the, the push of a button, they can access critical care specialists, they can triage patients effectively, they can treat patients with time-sensitive diagnoses within their hospital so that the outcomes of the patients are improved. So definitely there's an ROI there. In many cases, you know, you will find that hospitalists, for example, are quite comfortable taking care of somewhat critically ill patients, 
as long as they have the backup and guidance of a critical care specialist telling them what to do. They are quite happy to take care. In fact, they find it more satisfying not to have to send the patient away. They'd rather have these patients and continue to care for them as long as they can get the appropriate specialist backup and be guided as to what to do. And that's exactly what we did during COVID is tell many, or not tell, but help hospitalists with things like ventilator management, managing fluids, vasoactive medications, and things like that. So I think there's definitely an ROI there. In terms of hospitals that already have, you know, even if they have telecritical care systems in place, they often don't have specialists, right? And so having a system like this allows them to access these specialists much more easily. It's been known for a number of years, for over two decades now, that having intensive as a critical care specialist provide input into care of patients in the ICU definitely helps outcomes. It improves their outcomes, it improves their mortality, improves their or reduces their length of stay. All the ICU KPIs are actually improved by just having the input of an intensivist because we look at things in a very different perspective. We look at it, you know, look at the big picture. We look at things as a system for the patient as opposed to focusing on one, one, one particular organ system. So it's been demonstrated that having an intensivist provide input into the care of a patient in the ICU definitely improves outcomes. So just facilitating that alone will clearly result in improvement in outcomes. And are the specialists that are beaming in, for lack of a better word, able to see the patient's vitals in real time? I mean, is is it like they are standing there with the patient? Correct. So that's the beauty of our system is that we have the ability to interface with uh, any medical record system. And also what we've done recently is partnered with another company that actually streams real-time vital signs data and all the bedside monitor device data into our platform. So we can obtain vital signs and patient data by integration with medical records. That's one way. But in addition, there's not, there's a second way by which we can actually see real-time streaming data by integrating with this other device aggregator that really in real time captures all data points. And then just through an API call, we are able to get that vital signs input into our platform. And so the remote intensivist can not just interact with audio, video, and text with the bedside provider, but they can actually see the vital signs. So it really becomes pretty self-contained system. We're able to provide good input into patient care. Having that information, you know, would be would be critical, right? And so the ability to do that in real time is awesome. And speaking of which, you know, I am a volunteer EMT, and I imagine that this would be very helpful in complicated cases. So is this software something that you imagine integrating into EMS workflows as well as hospitals? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you ask a question because we uh, just recently, about a month or two ago, we engaged in a pilot with Washington Washington University in St. Louis for just that very use case. So the EMTs actually use Omnicure software to connect with the EMS physicians. So when patients call 911, the EMTs respond, you know, they have their protocols, sure, and they do things based on that. But there are cases where they actually need the physician to provide some additional input. So using our platform, they're able to connect with the WashU EMS physicians, WashU EMS fellow, and they can directly conference with the patient and the EMT that in their home setting to decide what the next appropriate care plan should be. And I think the initial data from this pilot has shown that, especially in cases for termination of resuscitation of efforts, this was very useful to have the physician 
be able to be present virtually. The second thing was in cases where patients may have been refusing care or not willing to go to the hospital, having the physician provide input virtually was able to convince the patients to actually adhere to the care plan. So we're continuing the pilot right now as we speak. We clearly see an opportunity there in the EMS space. At the end of the day, you know, our platform, even though we designed it for telecritical care and the the way we structured the workflows in the the app, et cetera, there's no reason why it can't be used for EMS services. I think what one has to realize is that when I say telecritical care, it doesn't mean the patient has to be in the ICU. Telecritical care basically is facilitating critical care at any location. So the patient does not have to be in the intensive care unit. He could be at home. Critical care often starts at home with the first fluid bolus that a patient gets. So that's critical care right there. Critical care starts in the ER. It starts in the hospital wards. The key is to be able to connect with the specialist, the critical care specialist, to know exactly what needs to be done in an appropriate manner, in a, in a time-sensitive manner, so that the patient's outcomes are improved. So. Absolutely, EMS is a use case, and we're actually still working with the EMS department and the Rockwood Township EMS services to see how we can utilize this platform for their program. You know, as we think about where skating to where the puck is going, uh, another thought that occurred to me is that as value-based care shifts away from the inpatient setting and towards outpatient and ultimately the home, how do you imagine Omnicure fitting into that changed landscape? I think what we have done is basically demonstrate that you can really provide critical care from anywhere to any location, correct? So having done that, and now that we have a platform that is able to securely enable these transactions, we see telecritical care as being extending beyond just the ICU to patients at home. There is no reason why remote specialists who provide input into care of patients in the hospital cannot continue to do so when the patient goes home. In fact, what we're doing right now is trying to customize our application in such a way that even the patient, when they get discharged, is part of the conversation even when they are home, so that in future, the, the same care team that took care of them when they were in the hospital can still be contacted by the patient when they're at home. So you're in the ICU, you have a care team of remote intensivists, nurses, therapists, pharmacists, all that took care of you using the Omnicure app when you were in the hospital and provided input. Now, when they go home, we can still facilitate continued communication with with these patients at home. And I think this is very important because it's been now demonstrated there's something called post-ICU syndrome or PICS syndrome where Patients, when they're discharged from the ICU, they still don't come back to normal anytime soon. And there's a lot of things that happen to them after they leave the hospital. And sometimes, if you recognize those problems early on, we can avoid unnecessary rehospitalizations. As as you said, as care shifts to the home setting, Omnicure can continue to facilitate that. What it requires, however, is that we have to very carefully plan out our technology solution in such a way that it is still very streamlined and not unnecessarily complicated from a user experience perspective. I think that's one of the issues is that oftentimes many of these technology solutions, they all exist, but then the experience is very hodgepodge and very chaotic sometimes. So that makes it hard for providers to navigate the application. So what we're really aiming to do is try to extend this experience in a streamlined fashion to care at home as well. 
So you're right. It absolutely is something that we are set up to do. And in fact, one of the things with the federal government project that we're, that we're involved in is that they do want us to actually develop that side of things as well uh, for care of patients at home. I certainly see the, the application to the home as well as that inpatient setting. I mean, for all the reasons that you mentioned, never hurts to have a coach in your pocket, right? That's that's kind of the way I look at this, right? As, whether you're EMS, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a doctor, right. right? Having the sort of doctor that specializes in the situation at hand, available to you, able to see the patient's vital signs, able to look at the patient and give you advice, why wouldn't you want that, right? And so right. it's so cool that you're enabling that across different care settings. So we're, we're approaching time here, and so I want to be cognizant of your time as well as our listeners. I have a final question for you that I've shamelessly stolen from Zeev Newworth's podcast, Creating a New Healthcare, which I highly recommend. If you had one minute to address the Biden administration and discuss the measures that could be taken to advance a higher quality, lower cost healthcare system, what would you say? I wish I could get more than a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I think what I would really emphasize is the need to deregulate some of the uh, very cumbersome barriers, barriers that have been put in place to allow efficient practice of care across state lines. I think it is about high time that the federal government did something very concrete to really ease the burden of cross-state licensing and all these regulatory barriers that have been put in place for physicians to provide care uh, in a seamless fashion across state lines. I think telehealth is here to stay, and the federal government has to think of ways in which to make it a permanent fix, permanent fixture of our healthcare system without obviously compromising quality. Um, and you, you can do that as long as you plan it carefully and you put in the appropriate checks and balances. But I think our current system is so, so convoluted and so old-fashioned that someone really needs to really, you know, take the bull by the horns and actually turn this thing around. There's also a lot of inefficiencies built within hospitals. There's just a lot of redundancy, a lot of duplication, a lot of highly inefficient practices. And I think many hospitals have realized that and they've really taken that as their mission to eliminate waste. But I think hospitals should continue to look at that and the federal government should reward hospitals for eliminating waste, eliminating inefficient processes, you know, across the board. So I think those are the two things I think that that I would say is number one is to really focus on easing the burden of practice on physicians. And number two is to really encourage hospitals to eliminate waste through through thoughtful incentives. Sanjay, thank you for your thoughts. And what you've built is awesome. So I encourage folks to check out your website to learn more, which is omnicuremd.com. Thank you again for joining us, Sanjay. Thanks for listening to the Healthcare Reimagined podcast. You can learn more about the Society for Healthcare Innovation by visiting our website at shci.org. If you like today's podcast, please click the subscribe button so you can stay up to date with all our latest content.